but I did, and so I guess, you know, that's just the way that crooked cumbrels. Um, but I'm kind of picking up from where I left off last Sunday, and we were in Psalms 85, and we, before I get ahead of myself, let's just have a word of prayer, center ourselves around the word, come back in, just see what Jesus does, okay? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. Lord, to look at this book And Lord, gain knowledge, grow in revelation of who you are. And Lord, I just ask, Lord, that that revelation, that knowledge would be translated here this morning as we preach, as we deliver your word. God, let hearts be open, let ears be open. And Lord, I want to follow the Holy Spirit, not just my own notes. I want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I ask that you would lead me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, like I said last week, we're in Psalms chapter 85, and essentially, briefly overviewing that particular passage, is we found that the psalmist, un, though unknown, um, most theologians don't know if it was David or who it might have been amongst that particular tribe, but this psalmist had a longing, actually the chapter is deemed by most scholars as a longing for revival. Um, and in there, or in this particular chapter, we see that the nation of Israel were really in a season of distress, um, where it seems as though, it appeared as though, they were surrounded more by the anger of the Lord, like his indignation had risen due to their disobedience. But in that particular psalms, we also see a resolve in the psalmist to pray for revival in a time where it just didn't make sense, given what was going on culturally in the nation. And um, the real key verse is, um, will you not revive us again? Um, And that is the psalmist recalling, if you would, the history and the trend of God uh, with the people of Israel. That even though things had looked bleak, even though things had looked discouraging and dark, that the trend, God's trend, was to revive his people in the midst of perilous times. So that's kind of a recap of where we're at. And so where we're picking up this week is in Ezra. Yeah, we're going Old Testament, I know. Ezra chapter 9, if you have your um, Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones, or your Samsungs, whatever you're using these days. Who's getting the new iPhone when it comes out? All right, blessed be the name of the Lord. I think I may join you in that quest. Who's getting the big one? I'm getting the big one. Is 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 that terrible to say? I'm getting the mini iPad, is what I'm doing. I'm going to go around, what's up? You know, I'm, I'm, forget like regular, like just phone calls. I'm going to be FaceTiming everybody. Just so I can, you know, get a good view and they can get a good view of everything. Anyways, um, I'm going to get the big one. Is that too much? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's excessive. Anyways, it's all right to laugh at church and have fun. Um, if you know me and if you've been around me, I like to, I like to do that. Ezra chapter 9, verses 8 through 9. Let's look at what the chapter, the verse says here. It says, And now, for a little while, grace has been shown from our Lord. This is the prophet Ezra. And now, for a little while, while grace has been shown from the Lord our God, to leave us a remnant, to escape and give us a peg in his holy place. I want you to kind of just key in on the language here. That our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. Wow. 
Just let's, let's pause. Let's just pause that. Pause right there. Contemplate. Let me just read that again, the second half of verse 8. That our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to what? Revive us. To repair the house of our God and to rebuild its ruins. And to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Wow. What a profound passage of scripture. I want to unpack this briefly just for a little bit. I'm not going to keep you too late. I know our small sermon go a little longer on the announcement side. Um, but we have every Sunday to talk and come together around the word. And that's what I like about Sundays. Essentially here, um, historically, culturally, what was going on is the people of Israel and its priests and Levites had failed to separate themselves from the peoples of the lands. After uh, their arrival in the proper accounting of all the gifts brought from Babylon, Ezra was presented with bad news, essentially. Now, this is going to get a little controversial given the times that we live in, but just hold on. It's, it's just the word of God, but uh, I certainly... Well, we'll you'll, you'll, you'll get it. Uh, the spiritual condition of the post-exile Israel, the community, was bad. Uh, this was evident in their failure, again, to separate themselves from pagan peoples. And, and, and it polluted the region. Uh, the failure to re, uh, separate themselves resulted in intermarriage, essentially, um, with the surrounding pagan communities. Now, I'm all for intermarriage, you know. <laughs> so let me just put that out, a little disclosure out there. Um, although the Bible does in the New Testament exhorts us not to be unevenly yoked, doesn't it? Um, means that believers shouldn't, you know, kind of marry other non-believers. Um, so, but this was the case. This was bad. Um, it wasn't that intermarriage was the only problem here, but these communities in their intermarriage, uh, there would be no areas simply left untouched um, by these pagan associations. You know, things like business, government, commerce, community, were deeply infected um, and resulted in where these people were being delivered, essentially, but yet went back spiritually to kind of a state of being in bondage, although they were no longer enslaved in one sense, given their stance, if you would, or given their intermarriage, they kind of, in the midst of revival, in the midst of God's grace, in the midst of that measure of revival that Ezra is talking about, still stayed captivity. And it's, 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 you know, I guess what I'm trying to interject here in this opening statement is that revival is in by no means the end all of things. It's, it, it doesn't come with a guarantee to make all wrongs right. I, I think that is really like important for a community like ours, given that we pray a lot for revival, there's a lot of emphasis um, put upon God moving in power and strength. But what we see in here in Ezra is that it's not backed by guarantees. It's not, you know, come with come some silver lining, silver bullet, where it just makes all wrongs right. There is still, as we see in this context, 
a measure of bondage in the midst of God's grace, in the midst of him actually reviving his people. And so I guess what I'm trying to do is just kind of lay the foundation that even though we're a community that, much like in Psalms 85, have a longing for revival, we have to understand that it's not a means in and of itself to an end. It's not the end all. It's not guaranteed by making everything right. That there can still be a measure, even within the church, of bondage. There can still be a measure of uh, people being enslaved, if you would. Um, Of course, not by some dictator or tyrant, but just spiritually, even by the flesh. And so, I I only say this because I know that me, myself, we put a lot of stock, even when we pray for revival, that it's just going to take care of everything. (laughs) That it's just going to be, it's going to just, it's going to seal the deal and we're, it's going to be glorious. The problem, the problem with that theory is that revival is messy. If you look at our, the trend culturally, I mean, in the history of America and other nations, revival is in by no means pretty. It, it, it's surrounded by controversy. It's surrounded by uh, still a, a sense of hypocrisy even in terms of those who present it. <laughs> and we know that many people in those big tent revival meetings, man, who have been exposed for immorality, have been exposed for, you know, whatever it might be. Again, revival doesn't come with any guarantees to make all wrongs right. And as a community, as Hilltop, as Jehop, as a people who are praying, I'm not trying to um, uh, devalue praying and longing for God to revive us, Uh, but we have to have a clear thinking in our little charismatic theology, is that it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make all wrongs right. Are you with me? Come on. The only thing, the only time where things are going to be made right is when Christ comes back. Come on. I myself have even wrestled with my own uh, personality, my own character, my own flaws, if you would, my own nature to to uh, um, live for the appetite of the flesh. I myself have been confronted with my own hypocrisy, even in the midst of a true, sincere longing for revival. Why? That, that comes out of, I don't separate myself from it. I say, this is why we need it. This is why my heart needs to be awakened. And so in Ezra, we see that God's grace, we found out, or we kind of came to the conclusion last Sunday that that revival is no more than just an act of God's sovereignty. You know, it's not, no more than just His sovereign grace. And you see it, right, in the beginning verses of uh, chapter 9, in verse 8. And now, for a little while, what does it say? Grace has been shown from the Lord our God. So Ezra even connects God's grace to the measure of revival that this community was facing or experiencing. And so we realize that it's not prompted by our own works, our own kind of even longing. It's sovereign. It, 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 it is orchestrated. It is handled by no one other than God. And it's for the specific reason that God alone is glorified and not man in any way. God is 
interested in his own glory and getting the glory. So, that was kind of my midsection that I didn't want to, my midsection, <laughs> stick around. Um, no, that was kind of the middle part of my uh, last Sunday's teaching that I didn't want to kind of unpack for 20 minutes. And now we're going to segue into something else. If you would turn with me to John chapter 7. And we're going to look at the, some words from Jesus. So Israel, in one sense, in the book of Ezra, was unable to preserve or maintain their state of revival, their measure of revival that God had provided. Now, it's interesting that this word revival takes on different characteristics than Psalms 85, will you not revive us again? And the definition of this measure of revival that Ezra kind of alludes to, he said, is really the preservation of life, and it has a sense of sustenance. It has something that needs to fuel it and, and give it that preservation of life, if you would. If you don't understand what I'm saying, hold on, I, I hope to explain it in more detail. But before I do, and before we get into the words of Jesus, looks, look at just this one statement. Sustenance is needed You can write this down if you want to because you're going to come back to it at some point in your life. Sustenance is needed to sustain a continued state of being revived and is found only in Christ and the work of His Spirit. Now, let's go into John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the day, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow what? Living rivers of living water. Verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now it's all about context, right? So let's give a little bit of context to this kind of statement that Jesus shouts, if you would. Jesus is at a party, all right? And he's that guy. Okay, he didn't just sit back on a rock. This is not Jesus on the mountain giving a nice peaceful talk to, you know, his disciples and those who have gathered, you know, about the Beatitudes. This is Jesus in the midst of a party standing on a chair and shouting, if anyone is thirsty, you know, he's that guy. He's at the Feast of Tabernacles. During the last day of this particular celebration, like all the other times before, there was a water ritual. And essentially this ritual was just to, you know, ask God for, you know, um, for that following year to be sustained by rain so their crops could grow and commerce could go on through uh, what they needed to sustain the life, really the commerce of the, the uh, town. And um, again, most scholars believe that when Jesus announced in verse 37, if anyone thirsts, that he may have been thinking of Isaiah 51, how ma- I'm 55 verse 1. How many know the verse uh, uh, Isaiah, speaking of Jesus in Isaiah 55 verse 1? 
Um, but unfortunately, I would trend just because of other people and their commentary believe that Jesus was more likely offering a better alternative to this water ritual. I know that some of this is not as fast moving as my last sermon, but just hold on. I've got to lay some foundations. It's hard for me. So, so much like the woman at the well, you know, Jesus is offering a better alternative. Essentially, Jesus is offering sustenance. He's offering, right in this instance, the opportunity, if anyone who would choose to come, who is thirsty, come to me. I, I, I will give you water. I will give you, much like the women of well, I will give you water of which you will not ever thirst again. That's a profound statement. Have you ever thought about that? In your own life, you know, we're a thirsty people. Now, I'm not even talking about you just want some water sometimes. I'm talking about spiritually. It's evident in the body of Christ that we go from trend to trend, from, from, from organization to organization, to new revivals, to, you know, new books, new, new everything. But do we understand today, do you understand today that within you, there is a man who can quench the deepest of thirst inside of you? Do you realize that we are on the other side of Acts chapter 2, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that you have within you the sustenance to not go from thing to thing, to not go from... Am I using that word right? Okay, my wife's looking at me. No, no, no. Oh, good, she's giving me the thumbs up. Um, but do you know that within you is the person, is the fullness of God? Do you know that within you lies the power, the same power that rose Christ from the dead resides in you. And I'm not down, listen, I don't think I'm much of a conference goer. I'm pro-conference, we're having a conference. Hallelujah. Um, but, but, but there is another resource that we have. There is another alternative, if you would. And, and we are able to come to Jesus. You, you understand that whenever Jesus interjected, you know, things about being sustained, things about being live, things about never thirsting again, he didn't say, I'm going to come to you. He said, you come to me. Okay, so if you need some references, Jesus said, all those who are thirsty can come right here in, in John. The woman at the well, I referenced that. He said, uh, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God. How many know the gift of God today that resides in you? Do you have an understanding, a knowledge of the gift of God inside of you today? So he says, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is uh, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Come on. Another one. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts for righteousness and justice, they will be filled. If anyone thirsts, if anyone craves, if anyone longs, what, where am I going? Where am I going? <laughs> Thank you. We initiate the dialogue by coming to Christ with our need for him. We start the dialogue. We start the pursuit by coming. 
That's why these prayer sets are so essential. They provide a context, uh, arena, uh, a venue, if you would, to pursue God in this manner. You know, Bethel was just here, didn't get to see him. I had to do the prayer set. I know you can feel bad for me. It's terrible. I know I wanted to go, man. Like my favorite worship team. Oh, well. Um, as you can probably notice, it's <laughs> had two other songs. No, anyway, I know a lot of people coming up. But, you know, I, I had the, a profound experience. It's going to be laughable a little bit because it's not really profound. But Peter Kim, I just want to sing his praises. Here I am. Here I am, kind of down in the dust, sold my ticket, whatever, kind of dealing with it. You know how you deal with things, just a letdown. You're just like, yeah, I'm fine. No, it's not a big deal. I don't, it's probably not going to be good anyways. Yeah. yeah. Peter Kim comes in the room. And I'm like, Peter, what are you doing here, dude? If I was you, I wouldn't be here. I'd be over there. And Peter said, you know, just said something simple. But it stuck with me. It really did. It, it, it stuck with me. He said, you know, Daryl, uh, it's $40 for the ticket. He's like, I can come here and encounter God for free. You know, I'm not trying to down. I, listen, if I could have gone, I would have. But here's a man who understands who's inside of him. <laughs> Here's a man who gets it. And, I, and listen, again, I'm not trying to attack Bethel. I love them. I love that people got to experience uh, that. Even though you paid $40, God bless you. 25 um, But here's a man who knows. Here's a man who knows that it's not about where he is, what he's doing, with whom he is. He realizes that, hey... I can come into this prayer room with like 15, 20 people and I can encounter God in the same way. Now, some of you are like, no way. I'm telling you, yes way. Whoa, listen, yeah, great. Thank you for the applause. But some of you put far too much stock in your conference concert goings, your book readings and your podcast and your latest, you know, whatever endeavor online, then you put on the Christ who lives inside of you. We, we know of missionaries who go into hostile environments where you can lose your life, friend. This is not Cambridge. <laughs> okay, as dark as you think Cambridge is, it is not Cambridge. This is a place where you can get your neck cut open, your head chopped off for the gospel. But man, these kids, these young people are resilient. And yes, they don't make any qualms about how hard it is sometimes, but they have understood that they can come to the Lord. And within that context, God is springing up like a river. In the midst of a barren land, he's springing up like an oasis and quenching their thirst. They're not going to Bethel. They don't get that luxury. I'm not trying to, you know, manipulate. I'm just trying to pour out the hardcore facts. We got it good in America. But you understand, but hear me. Our goodness doesn't necessarily lie that Bethel comes in once a year or somebody comes in once a year, does a conference or 110 comes. Our, our, the, real, the real meat and potatoes, as my mom used to say, is, is that prayer room. Is when there's nobody there. It's your closet. When there's nobody there, so you're going to the Lord and understanding you don't have to wait for 110. You don't have to wait for Bethel Hillsong or whatever, Bill Johnson. 
You can pull, excuse me, on that which resides within. And you know what? Like Peter Kim said, it's free, baby. It's free. So we initiate by coming. Jesus didn't say, I'll go to you. He didn't say, hey, I'll make it easy for you. I'll, I'll just, you know, oh, you're having a hard time. Let me just break in, you know, Angela. No, he says, listen, you're having a hard time. Come to me. Come to me. Some of us need to learn and rediscover the simple art of going to God. Not emailing our pastors. Not calling them with the woes. That's only going to last for so long, guys. And ultimately, it's not going to suffice. It is not going to be the answer. There is something of greater power and virtue that resides in you. And you don't have to dial numbers. You just lift your voice in prayer. Come on. I'm not saying don't go to your pastor. Don't play me like that. You can go to your pastors, but you understand you have a great pastor. His name is Jesus. And ultimately, he's the pastors of your pastors. And your pastors are dialing up the Jesus number when they need to pull on that. We ain't got nobody to go to, okay, friend? So listen, we have something great within us. And the times that this needs to be discovered the most is in those hard places. It's an understanding that there is a better alternative than just daffing out, you know, unengaged, unconcerned, just depressed, but that you can call upon God. Come on, do you know that today God is not some stoic person sitting up in the third heavens? If you say it right, maybe I'll come. If you... you, you know, maybe bend your knees a little bit here. You know, cry, mustard up some tears. Maybe. God doesn't move like that. God is waiting to be known. God, Jesus is waiting to be discovered. But he's not just going to, you know, here I am, guys. He's going to say, call unto me. I'll come. Call unto me. Matthew 5.1 has been a life verse for me. I love it. I love it. Uh, Matthew 5.1, God blesses those who are poor and what? Realize their need for him. Let me say this, friend. If you ever lose the heart or the pursuit or whatever you want to call it, if you ever lose the art where you think you have no need for Jesus, you're in a dangerous place. And ultimately, this passage of Scripture sums up many of the come-to-me verses. What do I mean? They sum up Jesus' John 7, 37-39. Come to me, all those who are thirsty. They sum up, essentially, the woman at the well conversation. Hey, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me for a drink. We have to understand and realize that we are poor. We are bankrupt spiritually. And I don't know if you've ever been bankrupt financially, but you try to shoot and look for any means of finances that you can. I know you do because some of you email me and and ask me for funds, but you know you've got to do what you've got to do to eat and to provide, right? So we go by any measures, you know, even even if 
there's a certain amount of shame wrapped around it. You know, we still will do it. And here God is in the same way says, listen, you are blessed when you actually realize that you need me. See, I think sometimes we think God needs us. God does not need us, friend. God chose us. God loves us. But he does not need us. The most beautiful pictures of worship is a young person, old person, a woman, a man, child, whatever you want to say, who constantly understands their depravity and their need for God. And I don't know, it gets old, right? You know, you sit in prayer. I, I talked about this last Sunday, I think, a little bit. And all you think is like the, the main focus of prayer is, God, we need you. We do. We need God. We need him corporately. We need him individually. We need him in our families, our children. We need God. And it's just not once we think we have him that we stop. I don't know, God's fast moving, friend. Once I think I got it figured out, once I think, I got you, yes! You know, I, I figured it. I realized that he's moved on. I'm like, oh God. You know, it's like trying to like rely upon certain methods of leading worship, you know? And it's like, you know, you, there's a lot of dependency I, with this team. Especially me, because I'm musically illiterate. I don't know what I'm doing. I know G, C, D, E, A minor, some chords. But generally, overall, I do not know what I'm doing. But there's a real dependency, and once you think you figured it out, you kind of get a rhythm. Yeah, just lead this way. Look at that guy crying. Woo, figured it out. These are the things. These are the things that play in your mind. Might be sick, but we've all been there. You may not have been leading worship, but you know what I'm talking about. Right? It's true. Yeah. Yes, it is. Thank you, John. You think we figured it out, but then, you know, with that dependency, and you think you figured it out, you get into a vein, you get into a flow, you're like, yeah, just kind of rely upon this crutch, and rely upon what I did last Sunday, it will work. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't work. That's kind of like it is with God. He's always constantly moving. Because ultimately, to discover God is endless. We will be on a continual journey of never exhausting the depths of God and understanding the depths of God ever ever. And so one of the purest, I believe, forms of worship is found in Matthew 5 verse 1. Those who are poor, poor of spirit, they realize their need for him. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so again, that kind of is like the overarching theme of Psalms 85, that longing for revival. When you're brought to the end of the rope, your country is in shams. You know, it's, it's being devastated. It, it, it seems that the God, the God is angry and pouring out his indignation. And, and your only resolve is to say, because you know your history in God, in the history with God, you say, God, how long will you revive us till you revive us again? And friend, I want to live in a culture, in a community like that. I understand that we're to be content as believers, but I don't think in this aspect we are. I think we are supposed to be continually hungry and thirsty because God is endless. He's like the deepest of oceans that not even the best machinery could touch. 
So Jesus, we understand, is the sustenance of what sustains, what revives, what gives us that state of, ah, I'm awakened. I don't need to look at here or look there. God, you have awakened me. You've awakened me. And then you go back to that history. You go, when things get dark, when things get murky, you go back there. God, I remember last week. I remember yesterday when Peter Kim challenged my own heart and said, hey, I can, I can encounter God here for free. I'm like, hello. Because all I'm thinking is I want to be there. I want to take selfies and, and, and videos of Stephanie singing. I wonder, no, hear me out. I wonder, and I'm going to really start, I'm going to play with something really hard. But I've come to these conclusions. I wonder how much of that skirts along the end or the, the perimeter of idolatry. I, want, I just wonder. I wonder why we're taking our, and believe me, I've been there, guys. I've taken selfies, you know, onesies, whatever. I'm taking videos. Hey, this is where I'm at. Not onesies. It's okay, guys. It's okay to laugh in church. Right. We're in Cambridge. We're in Cambridge. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've heard a lot worse. Um, I know. But do you understand what I'm saying? I wonder how much of that kind of just borders idolatry. Because ultimately, I think the same excitement that we should have around somebody like that coming should be the excitement that we have all the time. And I'm sure if you talk to any one of those worship leaders... That's their core. That's their core. Jesus. You know? Jesus. And so Jesus is the sustenance that's needed to sustain a vibrant, revived life. And we all need him. And when you feel like you're kind of not there, man, get there. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you among all men when you've realized that that you need me. John chapter 15, you can do nothing apart from me. Why would we want to? (laughs) Especially if Jesus is available and Jesus is available. Turn one more scripture and then we'll wrap up. Everybody all right? Okay. Love you guys. Thank you for loving me. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Now, this whole idea of Jesus being the sustenance needed, being that source that revives us, is nothing new. And actually, we're going to see Paul the Apostle attest to Jesus being that source of life, even in the days of Israel's journey in the wilderness. That profound? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Let me just say that again. Okay, tune in. Tune in. It's only 11.42. Doing good. Tune in. Paul kind of attests to that this is no new trend with Jesus, that he works on the behalf of reviving those who are broken, those who are contract. He's been doing it from the very beginning. That's amazing to me. 
it kind of just falls right into suit and play with Psalms 85. Discovering that this is a constant trend of God. I think that's amazing because we're in some dark times. We're in some dark situations that need reviving. And ultimately, the trend of God is, is that that's when he moves. That's when he revives his people. I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. We're not talking about something that just quenches your thirst because you're an arid land. We're talking about something that quenches your spiritual hunger. And this has been something that Jesus has been up to before you were created, before I was created. He was the rock and still is the rock today that we can go to, that we can come unto and drink and be revived. The main reason I bring all these other types and shadows is not to downplay. Listen, again, disclosure, if I could have been at Bethel, I would have. Please don't take me out of context. What I'm saying is there is a better rock. The rock of the ages has been looking to sustain his followers on this side of eternity until he returns. That Man, that moves my heart. That moves my heart. Let's pray. Jesus. I'll just get some music. Just take a couple minutes. I know. Get Will up. Just close our eyes and just, uh, if you got to go, feel free. Nobody's holding you. We love you guys. Just um, let's just take a couple minutes and, and, and in our own ways, come to the Lord right now. Come on, I, I I'd almost guarantee I'd be willing to bet money on it that all of us need a fresh infilling of the Spirit of God in our lives. I know I need it. I don't come, you know just preaching a message, I come saying, God, I'm in need of you just as much as the next. But understanding that Jesus is the sustenance. He's been the sustenance from day one until God returns, man, until Jesus returns. I want to take advantage. (laughs) Come on, that's what this is all about. We want to take advantage of what God has provided for us through Christ. And it's not just salvation. It's to be sustained, to be revived, to live in a state of awakening. Will, can you play for me something? We're not going to drum this up. We're simply just going to approach the rock of the ages. It's just a couple minutes. I'm not going to work at it. I don't believe it should be worked at. We're just going to ease into it. Maybe... Sing a couple songs as we come unto the Lord.
God, we make space for you. Lord, a lot of times on Sundays, we're just going through the program, trying to get information out, fastly moving. Lord, we, we take time right now to come unto you. We're thirsty, God. We are so thirsty for you. God, I'm thirsty for you. All it takes, guys, is just that sincere acknowledging, I am thirsty for you, Jesus. It's almost like the Holy Spirit overshadows you. He floods your heart. We can come to him.
Father, we ask that you would revive us, Lord. Lord, no matter what we're facing, no matter what stage of life, hardships, Lord, what mountaintop or valley we're in, God, today, Father, we ask, Lord, for a fresh infilling of the Spirit of God upon our lives, Lord. Lord, we ask, God, that more than just being filled by the Holy Spirit, we would have an awareness of just how real you are, of just how much you work on our behalf, Lord, that you revive us, Lord, that you refresh us. God, let our hearts be aware, let our minds be aware of your nearness. Holy Spirit, we ask, God, make the veil between our minds and our hearts, God, and the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, so very thin. That no matter where we're at, God, in a concert, Lord, worshiping you, in a house of prayer, pumping gas, God, whatever we are, busting tables, Father, whatever we're doing, Jesus, Lord, let us be aware of the resource we have, Lord, of the strength and the power, Lord, that we have because of you in our lives. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. I want to um, open the altar. I want to officially dismiss this, but if you need prayer um, for anything, uh, don't leave without having somebody agree with you, having somebody pray with you or for you. Um, I'm going to, we have some time, so I think if uh, Will just continues to lead us in worship, if you want to hang around, if you just want to uh, create space, you know, for the Lord to encounter your heart, I encourage you just to stick around. If you have to go, but go. But um, we love you guys. My wife has some uh, stuff. I just want to, inc- I want you to leave encouraged. Um, you know, if you study the history of Israel, if you look at biblical history, what you actually find is the nation of Israel is they go through these seasons of basically backsliding and departing from the Lord, and then he's calling out to them to return to him again. And then they're returning, and then they're in a state of revival. I mean, how many of you guys have just kind of looked at the timeline of Israel and the way that that works? Is it's kind of this perpetual returning to him, having a heart that's awakened, kind of a state of a revived state. Actually, every single time you find night and day, worship and prayer is reinstituted when that takes place. And then you find a departure from that. And then once again, he's calling out saying, return to me. And so to understand that we as people, that you might feel as though your heart is very prone to backsliding. You might feel as though, okay, I'm definitely not in that place that I'm just cultivating the presence of God and calling upon, just as Daryl was sharing, but I almost need those conferences. I need to be in a corporate environment. That's what you're dependent on. And to encourage your heart today that you are not some anomaly, that you are not um, different than any other person or heart that is prone 
to be cold and distant. But this is what I want to encourage you. As we grow in the Lord, do you know what it happens is? Is that the, t- the gaps of time when our heart is dull and when our heart has departed, it is backslidden, our gaps of time begin to decrease. Meaning instead of it kind of being weeks of a dull heart and weeks of walking around just kind of living like we don't, we're not alive on the inside, you can begin to feel it and discern it. And then you know what you do? You more quickly return. You identify it and you basically say, oh, I, I see what this is. I see that this is a dull heart. I see what this is. This is a heart that's a disengaged. And very quickly, you can then just return to that place. I know even for me, if I'm feeling that over my heart, Abram knows it, doesn't scare him, doesn't frighten him. I make sure all my windows are shut. All the windows in the house are shut so that I don't scare any of the neighbors. And I just will pray in tongues throughout our house and just keep moving in that place. And to be honest with you, I can see even from, I've found um, journals from when I was a teenager. I've always journaled kind of my prayer life with the Lord. And as I've gone through them, what I've realized is the pattern of my heart is the more you walk with the Lord, you're able to respond and return more quickly. And you know what happens is, is it's almost like it's a graph where it's kind of like you have these highs with the Lord, these lows with the Lord, you know, it goes this way. But then the more you're growing with the Lord, you, you, those gaps of time, it's no longer distant. It's kind of, you discern it, you feel it, and you respond and you return. So guess what? All of us, even those that we look at in esteem, that seem as though they're living in a revived state, you know what it is? It's them taking a pulse of their heart daily. Not even daily, it's moment by moment discerning, oh, you know what? My heart, it's being distant. It's the constant yes before him. It's the constantly inclining our heart. So don't in any way feel as though you are are different or dull or somehow that you're a harder case than the rest of us. Just understand that as you walk with the Lord and the longer you walk with him, that you're able to discern it more quickly. and And really, you know what? Your lapse time is completely up to you. You can live dull for a couple of months and then finally come to a place where it's frustrating enough that you're willing to, but the nice thing is, is like Daryl was saying, you don't have to wait for a great event. You don't have to wait for a great speaker or a corporate gathering. When you discern that upon your heart, all you need to do is just posture yourself before the Lord and respond with a yes and he meets you there. He's gracious and he's kind. So God, I ask, Lord, for every person under the sound of my voice, We speak extraordinary grace over our community. Extraordinary grace to walk with you and to cultivate the presence of God. Lord, we thank you, Father, that it is our privilege as sons and daughters to access your presence at all times in all places. Lord, we thank you, Father, that there is no one in this place that is a second-class citizen or a, a stepchild of the King, but God, we all stand as joint heirs before your throne, Father. And God, I ask, Lord, that even now, Father, that, that that despondency and despair would be broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, that no one would labor under guilt or under shame, but God, that we would be, Father, those that quickly return to you, that quickly, without shame and without hindrance, would come boldly before the throne of grace. You know our heart is prone to wander. You know that we are unfaithful people, but you remain faithful. You remain steadfast to us, God. So God, we say as a people, we want to respond to your faithfulness. Lord, we want to respond to your steadfastness and perpetually present our lives before you, Jesus.
God, we thank you for the privilege of your presence. And let us never take it for granted. But God, teach us to walk and to live in fellowship and communion with you. We love you. Um, real quick, we'll, we'll disclose here. We're going to go on a little bit of worship, but I totally had forgotten. Um, John Howard and Jonathan Restrepo. I'm sorry, John Cho. John Howard. I have John Howard on the brain because his plane. I had plane issues last night. Sorry, John Cho. John Cho and Jonathan Restrepo are starting an evangelistic outreach in the Boston Commons. If you could, I know it's wrong placement, and we'll get back. No, come on, come on, come on, come on. It's important. It's important that we don't oversight, uh, overlook. Uh, but he's going to share just a couple minutes, and then we can dismiss. And 